to talk on the subject that I have on the screen, and it's a question, when is a New Testament example binding? I think that everybody can say, reasonably so, there's a lot of examples that are found in the New Testament. And sometimes people would say this, that if we want to bind one aspect or one example that's found in the New Testament to the church today, then we must bind all other examples, even the things that don't apply. We want to talk about the idea of an example being binding and what are the rules for that. First of all, let's just notice, as we know, how we get Bible authority. We get Bible authority by a command. We get Bible authority by an approved example, by a positive statement, and also by inference or implication. And any time that we are talking about any aspect of this, about Bible authority, we are talking on the subject of interpretation or a fancy word that's often called hermeneutics, the study of interpreting the word of God. So we understand that we cannot just do anything that we want to do or we don't want to preach anything that we want to preach or practice anything that we would like to practice. We must follow how the Bible commands us, gives us example, a positive statement or inference or implication. But here's the question. I think everybody would understand that if something is as an example in the New Testament, and we're talking about the New Testament church, if the New Testament church practiced a particular thing or did a particular thing on any subject, and it is supported by apostolic authority, I think anyone of faith would say that that's got to be binding today. Absolutely. It has apostolic authority behind it. And so we would look at the very same idea and we would say that applies today to us under the same or similar circumstances. Another thing I'd like to say, what if there are two or more examples of doing one thing? If we find two or more examples of doing something or practicing something in the New Testament, then we are given the freedom based upon expediency to choose which one would be expedient for us to do. And may I just say this about being expedient. Expedient is something that is commanded and we have the ability or we have the freedom to expedite that in a certain way. That's what expedient means. For example, we have singing today and we had a songbook. The songbook expedites the process of singing. We're commanded to sing, therefore the songbook is an expedient, a Bible expedient. So, if there are two or more examples in the New Testament of doing one specific thing, then we would be given the freedom to expedite that in either one of those choices. All right. What about this, though? What if there's only one example and one method of doing something in the New Testament? Is that one example exclusive of all other methods or all other practices? Now, note also... We want to notice some things that are, which examples are binding today in our life? Well, first of all, there's a difference between an example that's binding and examples that were given in the New Testament that were a general principle or general teaching based upon the example of using a current, which would be ancient for us, custom. Like, for example... What about that? Foot washing. 
You know, sometimes people say, well, you know what? If you want to talk about the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, we better bring back foot washing. More on that at the end of the lesson, by the way. I'm going to talk about some of these. But what about foot washing? Is that binding today? Or was foot washing, and when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, for example, he used a custom that happened of old times that applied to them, and he taught a general principle. That's why that's an example, perhaps, that wouldn't apply today specifically. Let's go further. What about a holy kiss? In Romans 16, 16, Paul said, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Does that mean that we have to kiss everybody on the cheek today? Or was that a custom that existed back then and the principle was something else? Or the lesson learned was general and something else? Does that apply today or was that a custom of old? What about speaking in tongues? We have examples of people in the New Testament that spoke in tongues. We have examples of those that had miraculous spiritual gifts. Their examples, do they apply or were they exclusive to one particular time? And finally, what about the Lord's Supper? What makes the Lord's Supper that we do every Lord's Day, and we're going to do today in just a few minutes, what makes the Lord's Supper different from foot washing, holy kissing, and speaking in tongues? I'll just tell you this. I've heard people say, well, if we're going to have the Lord's Supper, we have to have foot washing too. That's the specific thing that I'd like to talk about. And by the way, in this lesson today, we're going to reference two things that's very, very, very important. It is, it is the basis of what we believe. And I'm going to talk about two things repeatedly and apply different rules to these two things throughout this lesson. And the two things are going to be this. One is baptism and the other is the Lord's Supper. We'll reference them several times as we move through. So, here's the question. Can the New Testament bind upon God's people... A practice or a method to the exclusion of all others only by example. All right. And if so, how is that exclusiveness to be determined? I want to submit to you there are six rules. There are six rules that we can apply to the example to find out if it's something that is binding on us today. Rule number one is the rule of uniformity. The application of this rule is, I'm going to use conversion, for example. And uniformity is this. Uniformity is when you take all the examples of the same thing or the same act, the same fact. All the examples, do all of them, are they all inclusive, and are they all in uniformity with each other? I'll give you an example. In every case of conversion, going all the way back, to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Every time. Okay? Acts chapter 2 was the first time the gospel was preached with the opportunity to respond to it. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning from that time, every conversion in the New Testament was by the preaching, teaching, and learning of the word of God. Every time. So we say this, if every single time that, the, that somebody was converted to Jesus Christ, it was based upon preaching, teaching, and learning of the word of God, then we must say by uniformity that if somebody is going to be saved or converted, it is by the preaching, teaching, and learning of the word of God. That's the law or the rule of uniformity. What else? Every conversion in the New Testament also. When the word of God was preached, every single time it produced faith. 
Every time. You know, the Bible talks about faith. I was in a discussion not long ago with someone, and we were talking about things that you cannot know, things we can't know. And you've heard me say this before. I've been saying it a lot lately. And, you know, really, the older I get, the more I say it. I'm going to keep saying it. I think people of faith need to be okay with what you can't explain. And I think people of faith ought to be those that understand, maybe I don't have an explanation for it, and I don't really care. Faith kicks in. It's like one time I sat down with some young people, and they said, how do we know when we talk to our friends, because by the way, people are smarter today, and when we sit down with our friends, how can we prove to them that God created everything? I said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, but how do you really know? I said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, but you got to give me something else. you got to give me some proof. Got it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where faith kicks in. So Christians are people of faith, and we believe it as fact. And the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The Bible says this too. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So anyone, by the way, that is saved will not do so or be so because they had some kind of experience somewhere and they were moved somewhere and then they knew that they were saved. No. Every case in the New Testament, what they do? They heard and were taught the word of God and that produced faith. But there's more. There's more. When faith was produced, it prompted a response. You know, sometimes we understand things, and we do understand things by faith, but remember this. Faith is always for the purpose of prompting a response. So by the rule of uniformity, when the word of God was produced or preached, it produced faith, and it led to a response, and in every case, they were all baptized, every one of them without delay. So we must say, by way of the rule of uniformity, that if you're not baptized, you can't be saved by the rule of uniformity. I'll give you some examples, though. You know, when Saul of Tarsus was on the Damascus Road, Saul of Tarsus had a great experience. There was a light shine round about him, and it blinded him. He understood that, that was Jesus. He said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the King James says, or the goads in other translations. It's hard for you to do that. He's blinded. He goes into Damascus. Oh, he was obviously repentant. He prays for three days. Can't pray his sins away, though. Could not do it. And by the way, if he couldn't pray his sins away in three days, how do people think today they can pray their sins away in one or two sentences? How are you going to do that? Three days. Big experience. What happened, though? When Ananias walked in, he told him what he must do. He told him the word. He told him what he must do. He said, and Saul, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What else? When the word of God was taught to an Ethiopian man, it produced faith. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. But then he said, it says they stopped dead in their tracks. They got out of the chariot. They went down into the water and he baptized him. What about the Philippian jailer? Same thing. Same thing. They took him the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. 
and they were baptized, he and all his straightway. So, by the rule of uniformity, with conversion, it has to begin with the word of God every time. It has to produce faith in an individual every time. You are baptized without delay for the remission of sins. All cases, all examples in the New Testament. Okay, so let's talk about the Lord's Supper for just a minute. The fact that the Lord's Supper was observed by the early church on the first day of the week is extremely significant. That is the day that the Lord's Supper is to be partaken of. And if the Lord's Supper, it's, it is given to us by example on the first day of the week, then it's also exclusive to the point that any other day is not required or any other day is not allowed. It can't be observed. And the reason for that, we don't have precept, we don't have example, and we don't have inference as to observe it any other day. Therefore, all things or all other days are excluded. I will get back to the Lord's Supper in a minute, though. I'm just following the rules of uniformity. What else? How about church cooperation? What's that mean? When we talk about church cooperation, we are talking about the use that a congregation has in using the money that is in their treasury. And it's oftentimes referred to in a general sense as church cooperation. Now... There were many churches, or when many churches, for example, today, would support a preacher somewhere, every single time, by the rule of uniformity, the money was sent directly to the need. Every time. We have Filipino preachers that we support. We have an African preacher that we support. We support a man in Hawaii. The money is sent directly to them. It is sent directly to them, sometimes in the hands of a messenger, which is scriptural, but it's sent directly to them. Notice what Paul says, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. He said, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, robbed doesn't mean steal. What it means is he took or received. What he was saying is to Corinth... I took wages from other congregations so that I could minister unto you. That is a Bible passage that supports that you can be doing the work of an evangelist in one area and have a congregation in another area financially supporting you. That is scriptural. What else? Notice what Paul said in Philippians 4. Beginning in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel I departed from Macedonia. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So, writing to those at Philippi. He talks about those where he speaks about the fact that they sent aid to him directly from the hands of Epaphroditus, a messenger. All right, I got to say this. They lived in primitive times. Okay? They lived in primitive times. This is really important because sometimes people say this. But we live in modern times, so the pattern cannot be duplicated. What can be duplicated is congregational money 
going directly, that's the source, going directly to the destination being the preacher itself or the need. That can be duplicatable. Now, we don't need a man to hand deliver it across the country or get on a boat or in the primitive means of transportation they had back then, either walking, riding an animal, or getting on a boat somewhere. We could put it in the mail. We can wire the money. We could do other aspects of it. My point is this. The Bible pattern is this. The example is it went from the source, the congregation, directly to the recipient. That's the pattern. And that's what we follow. That's what's scriptural. All right, let's go further. What about when many churches cooperated with the Jerusalem church by contributing to help meet the needs that were in Jerusalem? They made up their own funds, they selected their own messenger, and they sent directly to the need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. When Antioch made up a contribution for the brethren in Judea during the time of famine, they sent it by the hands of their own messengers. And that was Paul and Barnabas. And it was sent directly to the elders of the church that was in need. Acts 11, 27 through 30. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed the spirit that there were going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, there's a reason for showing you all of this. There's a reason. We don't have any Bible authority. We don't have any example of multiple congregations sending their money to a sponsoring church or sponsoring organization who then decided and determined to pass out the money as they saw fit. We don't have Bible for that. And I'll tell you something, what happens too, if you think about it this way, if we as a congregation sent our money to help needy people in another country, we would send it directly to the need. We would do that. But if we send it, for example, to a sponsoring church, and that sponsoring church received from, I don't know, 30 other churches all this money, don't you see we lose our autonomy? The lines of autonomy are now gone. What's autonomy? Autonomy means self-governing. That's why we don't have any kind of home office. The Church of Christ doesn't have a home office, and our leader is Jesus. Our founder is Jesus. So for congregations to do this, we, have to, we can't cross lines of autonomy. We decide to do this in this amount. We do that in that amount directly to the recipient. And we can use modern forms of getting it there, but we can't cross the lines of autonomy or we cannot violate the pattern. So in every case, the rule of uniformity proves that the money was sent directly to the one that was in need. Number two, though, 
Number two, we have the rule of harmony or the rule of unity. And this is what that means. It means that each example, in each example in Scripture, must be interpreted in light of everything else that God said on the same subject or theme. So you got the rule of uniformity, right? All the examples did it a certain way. We follow that example, but there's more. We also put it to the test, and that's the rule of unity or harmony. So what we do in the example, if the example does not comply with everything that God said on that subject, it is not an approved example. But if it does, it is an approved example for us today. You know why? Because truth is always in harmony with truth. Always. The rule is illustrated, too. Again, we're going to notice the communion again, the Lord's Supper in Acts 20 and 7. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Notice, as we've already noticed, it was the first day of the week. Now, what we want to notice is, does Acts 20 and 7 example violate anything else that God said on the same subject in his word? We want to notice that. So we go to 1 Corinthians 11 and 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So, Acts 20 and 7 doesn't violate 1 Corinthians 11. So we go further. It doesn't contradict anything that God had said. The example to break bread in Acts 20 and 7 is also in harmony with apostolic instruction. 1 Corinthians 11 and 20 says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Please don't understand what this is saying. He's not saying when you come together, you're not supposed to eat the Lord's Supper. That's not what that means. What this means is, when you come together, Acts 20 and 7, it's for the purpose of breaking bread. But what you're doing is wrong. When you come together in one place, and you assemble together in one place, and you do so on the first day of the week, you are not partaking of the Lord's Supper properly. They made a mockery of the Lord's Supper. They turned it into a common meal. And that's what he was saying. So, in Acts 20 and 7, we have the idea to break bread... 1 Corinthians 11 and 20 is not violated in that example. Therefore, by the rule of unity and harmony, we keep that example. There's another one, though. 1 Corinthians 11 and 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. You know, this proves that the facts of the Bible are not violated to do it repeatedly every Lord's day. Okay, here's the argument. It doesn't say every Lord's Day. It doesn't say every Lord's Day. So if it doesn't say every Lord's Day, can't we just make it maybe once a month as long as it's on the Lord's Day? Or what about this? What about maybe every six months? What about every year? I heard somebody in the religious world say, you know what? If we would just take the communion and do it less, it gives it more. Oh, it makes us feel better. Like it's more important. Special. Well, I got a news for you, folks. The communion is not for our feeling of special. The communion is to commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When are we going to start realizing in the religious world, it's not about us. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, we feel good, but it's not about us. It never was supposed to be about us. It's always going to be about God. It's what God wants, what Jesus wants. It's what the word of God tells us to do every Lord's day. When he says first day of the week, we do it every first day of the week, just like they understood under the old law. Keep the Sabbath holy. Not every fourth one. It was every Sabbath. One final thing. If I'm working for Terry and he says, you know what? I pay on Friday. I'm not going to say, well, he probably meant once a month. I'll roll in there in about four weeks on Friday. No, I'm there every Friday. Pay me. Boss. When it comes to the community, it's exactly the same thing. First day of the week. Every first day of the week. Number three, though. We apply the rule of universal application. I love this. Because if this doesn't fit the church, I don't know what does. This is incredible. What this means is, as we look to an example, we have to look to the possibility of whether or not it is possible for us to do the same thing under similar circumstances. In fact, it means this. Everything taught in the gospel of Christ is within the realm of possibility in practice for all people in all parts of the world in every age. The scope of the gospel is worldwide, both in its provisions and in its requirements. Here's one. Let's, let's put baptism to it. Okay? Do you know why the universal application has the possibility of applying to everybody no matter where you live, no matter when you live? Because even if you live in a third world country, you know what you have? You got water. The universal application is everybody has water. You can't live without water. Somebody might say, well, there's no water at all. Well, you're not living, so you're going to be leaving or dying. You've got to have water. And by the way, I don't care if it's a third world country. You will have much water too so that you can go down into the waters of baptism and be buried like Jesus was and rise to walk in newness of life. You can assimilate that burial at baptism because anywhere you live where there's civilization, there will be much water. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've seen some rough looking water in the Philippines, but it's much water. It's deep enough. Every place in the world has an ocean or a lake or a stream or a pond. Everybody's got something. The law of universal application applies. So yes, it is possible for us to do that. If an example in the New Testament was such that it could not by impossibility be applied to everybody in the world, it would not have been an approved example. Here's another one. What about this? What about the Lord's Supper? Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest things about being a Christian, and you want to talk about increasing your faith. Maybe you are somebody that you've grown up in the church, and this is all you know. You don't know anything else. You weren't converted out of the world. All you know 
is what you have done in the Lord's church and your family has done and their grandparents have done and their great-grandparents have done and that's all you've known. And you do it because it's right. Do you know what absolutely increases your faith? When you go across the world to another country and you see somebody else using the same Bible doing the exact same thing. I don't know why the religious world is filled with all the production, the bands and all the production. Do you know this? If you worship in spirit and in truth like we're going to do today, every single thing we have done today is universally applicable in our life. We can do it. You can have one loaf of unleavened bread on the Lord's table. You can have one cup contained therein, the fruit of the vine. I don't care where you go. It doesn't matter where you go. You can do that. It's duplicatable, universal application. So the examples in the New Testament, absolutely, that's what we do. I'm not talking about any other religious affiliation. I'm talking about what we do. Everything we do, we can all do, and universally, we have that application. Now, so the rule of universal application supports the fact that these are binding examples today. What about this, though? This is important, too. So this is for all the people that say, now, wait a minute. If you're going to bind one example, you've got to bind every single little tiny example, too. That comes under the, the heading of the law of materiality. The law of materiality. Now, I'll just say that determining whether something is relevant, material, or essential is very important. Absolutely important. But also remember this, too. Incidental matters are never relevant, they are never material, and they are never competent in determining the will of God. The question is, what in the world is an incidental matter? With every example, by the way, there is an essential aspect, and there is an unessential aspect. So there's a material aspect, and there's an immaterial aspect. What do we do? Let's go back to our same, uh, the same examples we've been using. What about baptism? Okay, we've already established it starts with the word of God. It produces faith. Faith produces obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the gospel. That's to be baptized in much water. Okay, that's the material part. That is the essential part. Here's the immaterial. The place that you got baptized. An aqueduct. A river. A baptistry. The ocean. A jacuzzi, a nice warm jacuzzi in the winter. A swimming pool. That is the immaterial part. So when we look to a Bible example, we look under the laws of materiality. We look to the things that are essential. But we don't bind any other aspect of the immaterial or unessential. All that matters is baptism in water. Here's another one. Here's another one. Preaching the gospel. Okay? Now, I'm not specifically referring to worship. I'm preaching the gospel now, trying to. But I'm talking about just preaching the gospel in general. Okay? What did Jesus say? Jesus says, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Take the word of God to the world. As an evangelist, I'm trying to devote my life to doing just that. Taking the gospel to the world. Preaching the gospel. What is the essential element? It's the actual preaching of the gospel. What is the unessential elements, one of which is the means of travel to get there? That doesn't matter. 
He just said, go. If Jesus would have said, go, and go in this form or fashion, we would have to bind that. But he didn't. He just said, go. The essential part is go and preach. The traveling part is up to us. That doesn't matter. What about this? What also is the immaterial aspect is the place in which I preach it. I can preach it in this building. I can preach it under a tree. I can preach it in somebody's house. I can go to the Philippines. We can meet outside somewhere. We can go anywhere. The place is not relevant to evangelism of the preaching of the gospel. What the essential is, is the actual preaching itself. Here's another one. The place of assembly. You know, we have a wonderful building here. It's a very comfortable place to worship. I have been in congregations that met in a home. I've been in congregations that met at the community center in Ventura. Because you know why? It fit our needs, and the only charge is 10 bucks a service to rent the facility. Great. Our worship today is not any more special in this building than some other place or some other person in some other assembly. What is the essential? The essential is this. Assembling together in one place. That's the essential. This building does not matter at all. The church is the body of Christ. That's what matters. When we assemble, we need to assemble as the body of Christ in one place. And wherever we choose to do that is fine. That's just up to us. Now, what we can't do is this. So don't misunderstand me. What we can't do is have a few have private worship over here. Or a few have private worship over there. Here's the essential. The essential is this. Because the place doesn't matter so long as this is in place. We come together in one place. The whole church comes together in one place. And by the way, that's why we meet in an undivided assembly. That's why. That's what the Bible says. So the essential part is meeting in one place. The place that we at Plans Road decide we're going to meet doesn't matter. We can meet in your backyard, Terry's backyard next Sunday. We can say, you know what? The church is meeting at Terry's house next Sunday. That's fine. Because the building doesn't matter. There's nothing significant about this building. There's nothing special about this building. What did Jesus say about it? The place doesn't matter. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit is the attitude behind it. Truth is that which is in accordance with divine truth. Can I throw a little side note in? I got to throw this in. Let us not think because we're so afraid of the implications of the charismatic movement of the 1950s and the 1960s that we become so robotic because we don't want to have any kind of emotion. You think the Lord wants a bunch of emotionless robots? Now, emotion is not the basis of what we believe and practice, but truth is the basis on what we practice. But hey, listen. Put everything you got in it. Put everything you have in it. That's what the Lord wants. And by the way, that's what he meant when he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's not the mind. If it was the mind, then why did he say the mind a couple words later? Mind, soul, body, and strength. So, 
Put your heart into it. Now, let me make a point about something that is not immaterial. Please get this. The emblems and items on this table are not immaterial. They're not. The significance of the emblems on this table are these. One loaf of unleavened bread. One loaf. Unleavened bread. We can't add bread with leaven, soda crackers, whatever. It has to be a loaf of unleavened bread. That's how Jesus gave it in his example. That's what the disciples continue to do, and that's what we do also. And if we change any aspect of that, we change what it means. Can't do that. What else do we have? Folks, we've got one cup on this table. Paul said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. That's what Jesus said. Paul quoting Jesus. The cup is the New Testament in my blood. You know what that means? If that's the case, have you ever considered it this way? That the cup on that table is as important as the New Testament itself? Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Contained therein is the fruit of the vine. Can't change it. It is not immaterial. It's very material, those things. Here's what's immaterial. Again, where we assemble. That's immaterial. As long as all the church comes together in one place. Here's another one, though. The law of limited application. We're almost finished. This is when the example or the question only applies to the circumstances at hand or when a general principle was taught by using a current custom of the day. Because we understand this. Some examples do not apply to all circumstances or all conditions. Some don't. Now, notice when they sold their possessions, okay? Is this a binding obligation or a binding example for us to sell our, all our possessions and have all things common? No. Watch me on this now. When, the, when the, those in Jerusalem had traveled however far that they traveled, and on Pentecost Day there was over a million people there, and the gospel was preached for the first time with the ability to respond to it, 3,000 souls were saved. They were baptized for the remission of their sins. They turned their back on everything. They turned their back on their way of life. They were poor. They had nothing. And all of a sudden they were there. What did they do? They took care of each other. They sold their possessions and had all things in common. That was exclusive, those specific acts, to what was actually happening in the conditions and circumstances of their life then. So, what is the general principle here? Take care of one another. That's the general principle. The general principle isn't sell all your possessions and have one big commune. It's take care of each other. Here's another one. Bear one another's burdens. Be there for each other. That's the general principle to that specific example. Here's another one. I told you I was going to get back to this. Foot washing. Foot washing. Let's talk about foot washing. It was absolutely needed customarily at that time. Because they had a lot of dirt roads. They had a lot of dirt Okay? And when they would travel, mostly by foot, their feet would get dirty and they wore sandals. 
So when their feet got dirty, they would go to a particular place and the host there, showing hospitality, would wash their feet. This is a general principle using an ancient custom or a custom specific to the day. Okay? When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was giving a demonstration of service, servitude, and sacrifice for others. That's the general principle. The general principle is serve others. Take yourself and remove it from the equation and serve others. That's what that general principle is. Here's another one. I'm glad we don't have this. Holy kissing. I, I, I don't want to kiss you. Especially if you're a man. I have no desire to do that. Okay? But in Romans 16, 16, Paul said, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. That was a custom. It was a custom of greeting. Do you remember when the vile traitor Judas betrayed Jesus and he makes the deal with the devil, as it were? He said, whomsoever I kiss, that's the one. You know why? It was a custom. That's what they did. I have Italian heritage on my dad's side. You know what they, those in the East do? They'll kiss you on both the cheeks. And by the way, I never liked it when the ants did that. Never liked that at all. Okay. Do I have to wholly kiss anybody? No. But I'll tell you what I got to do, though. I got to have a warm greeting for each other. I got to do that. I have to have a loving, warm greeting. I have to greet my brothers and sisters in Christ in love. Just one little side note, too, if I, if I may. One last thing about this. Not only is this not required, it can even be a little bit, I don't know, inappropriate in certain settings. Maybe somebody might be offended by that. Because it is specific and exclusive to the customs of the day. The principle is, greet one another. All right, the last one and finally. That's the law of exclusion. The law of exclusion. is very important. When there's no precept, no approved example, and no necessary inference that includes the practice under consideration... There's no authority then for such a practice, and it has to be excluded. If there's no example, if there's no precept, if there's no inference, we have to let it go. That's not a binding example. God's silence rules against such a practice in our life. 2 John, verses 9 through 11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay, in conclusion, I'll put them all on the screen one final time. Here they are. What do we know about examples and when are they binding? What test can we put to see if it's an approved example? Well, first of all, the rule of uniformity. Look to all the examples on the same subject and make sure they're all the same. And everyone did the exact same thing. If they did in every example in the New Testament, by the laws of uniformity, it's a binding example. Also, the rule of harmony or unity. How does that example coincide with the Word of God? Does it coincide with everything else that God said on the subject? If it does, and it's in harmony with that, 
then that is a binding example. What about this? The rule of universal application. Is it possible to follow that example today? In the aspects we talked about today, it certainly is. If it is, it is a binding example. Understand the law of materiality. Things are essential and material, but there are some things that are unessential or immaterial. Got to know the difference between that. Finally, also, the law of limited application. Did it just apply to a specific custom of the day? And was the Lord or the apostles or anyone else by example just demonstrating a general principle that they needed to know? And finally, if we have no Bible for it, it's excluded automatically. It's excluded. This is when examples are binding on us today. We speak where the Bible speaks. We're silent where the Bible is silent. And I want you to know that everything that we have done to the very best of our ability and knowledge today from the Word of God will be in accordance with the examples that are binding in Scripture today. It is beauty and simplicity. It's wonderful. And you can worship God today in spirit and in truth with every aspect of our worship, everything that we do, because it follows the rule of universal application. It is possible. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.